was clinically dead for six minutes in a coma for six days and came out of the coma, was told I would never walk again and kind of just decided, you know what, if I never walk again, I'll be the happiest person you've ever seen in a wheelchair because I'm not going to let that determine my quality of life. But I'm also not going to accept that I'm never going to walk again until I'm absolutely proven otherwise. Like, so I prayed about it. I visualized it. I imagined it. I talked about it. Like I put all my energy into what I wanted while I simultaneously accepted if it doesn't happen, I'm not going to be distraught. Right. So it's kind of this balance of, of holding two ideas at at the same time. And three weeks after the crash, the doctors who thought I was in denial because I was so positive, um, they came in and they said, we don't know how to explain this, but your body's healing so quickly, Hal, we're going to let you take your first step tomorrow. And I took my first step and kind of the rest is history. And that's what started my work. And like, you know, I want to help people. I want to use my experience and what I overcame to teach other people and share with others how they can overcome their challenges. You're listening to the Traffic and Funnel Show. Welcome to the show, everyone. <laughs> we have encountered a miracle this morning <laughs> to get Mr. Hal Elrod on. What is up, man? Great to have you. To get my tech working was a miracle today. So, yes, amen. Yes. Yeah, so, Hal, if you don't know him, he is the author of multiple books, one that you probably have heard of, Miracle Morning. And so after surviving multiple near-death experiences and impacting millions of lives through his books, Hal is on a mission to elevate the consciousness of humanity one person at a time. As the author of that book, The Miracle Morning, which has sold over 2 million copies, that is ridiculous, Hal. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank the you. newest book, the Miracle Equation, he is doing exactly that. So, dude, welcome to the podcast. We are glad to have you. And if you haven't realized yet, we kind of just go with the flow and we have a lot yeah. of fun. We roll with the punches, whatever they bring. Like I said, so it's a very spiritual approach to the podcast. I yeah. appreciate that. Chris, I can tell you read that whole thing. I'm, no, I memorized it. I memorized it. Start to finish. There night. you go. There you go. No. So, um, dude... Reading through all your stuff, obviously, it's incredible feat to sell 2 million copies of a book. That's, that's awesome. But on your, the stuff that we are just going over, like your bio and stuff, one of the things that is on there is the, the two near-death experiences that you've had. Yeah. What in the world? Yeah. So when Can you I tell was- us about that? Yeah, my first one was when I was 20 years old. First of all, thank you guys for having me. I, I, I do appreciate this. And uh, yeah, it took us like 10 minutes to get this, the Zoom going. So I appreciate the patience um, going with the flow. The, so when I was 20 years old, uh, I was driving home from a meeting I had given a speech at that night for my company. And uh, my, I was driving in my brand new Ford Mustang at 20 years old. That was like the dream car that I could afford. It was three weeks old. And um, three weeks new, and I was hit head on by a drunk driver at 70 miles an hour. And I spun my car, hit the drunk driver head on, spun off the drunk driver, and the car behind me crashed into my driver's side door at 70 miles an hour. And, you know, if you could look over your left shoulder and imagine a car just hits you in the door at 70 miles an hour, like the entire left side of my car smashed into the left side of my body. And immediately I broke 11 bones. My femur, the biggest bone in the human body, broke in half broke my pelvis in three places and suffered all these other broken bones and internal injuries. And I bled to death uh, in the car. It took the paramedics over an hour to cut me out of the car. And when they did, I lost 
so much blood that my heart stopped beating for six minutes. I was clinically dead for six minutes in a coma for six days and came out of the coma, was told I would never walk again and kind of just decided, you know what, if I never walk again, I'll be the happiest person you've ever seen in a wheelchair because I'm not going to let that determine my quality of life. But I'm also not going to accept that I'm never going to walk again until I'm absolutely proven otherwise. Like, so I prayed about it. I visualized it. I imagined it. I talked about it. Like I put all my energy into what I wanted while I simultaneously accepted if it doesn't happen, I'm not going to be distraught, right? So it's kind of this balance of, of holding two ideas at, at the same time. And three weeks after the crash, the doctors who thought I was in denial because I was so positive, um, they came in and they said, we don't know how to explain this, but your body's healing so quickly, Hal. We're going to let you take your first step tomorrow. And I took my first step and kind of the rest is history. And that's what started my work. And like, you know, I want to help people. I want to use my experience and what I overcame to teach other people and share with others how they can overcome their challenges. And then uh, three years ago, I was diagnosed with a very, very rare aggressive form of cancer, acute lymphoblastic leukemia. And I was given a 10 to 30% chance of surviving, which, you know, if you're a, a pessimist, that's a, a 70 to 90% yeah. chance of dying. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, once again, I just was like, I'm, I know you're saying I'm probably going to die, doctor. But I said, I believe I'm deciding there's a 100% chance that I'll be into the 10 to 30% chance that survives this thing. And within, you know, once again, I would just, the doctors were kind of blown away by how quickly my body healed. And I'm such a big believer now in how we have so much power in our own lives in every facet, but specifically from these examples, the mind body connection, like our cells, you know, we have trillions of cells and they just do what we tell them to. And when we live in fear that we create our reality of one of fear and, and that, uh, you know, and if we live with unwavering faith, that we can overcome or accomplish anything and everything that we want to, um, you know, then that, that becomes our reality as well. So yeah, so those were the two death-defying experiences of my life. And I'm grateful to say I'm in remission from cancer for about two years now and uh, you know, charging ahead. Dude, that's awesome. Congratulations on that. What's the biggest lesson through that process? Obviously pretty traumatic and uh, not many people go through one, let alone two experiences like that. What's the, the big lesson that you've taken from that? Um, and really, how has that transformed your life? And what would you say being your destiny? Yeah, the, thank you for asking that. I, and I, it is, in terms of, the, there's a lot of lessons I've drawn. And, you know, those, my books are all kind of have stemmed from those experiences. Um, but the biggest lesson that I learned is, well, let me pause. If we if we're honest about what we all want, if I ask if you ask anybody what do you want, they'll usually like rack you know well I want more success or I want more money or I want to whatever right they have a list of things they want, but what we actually want fundamentally underneath all of those things is we just want to feel good right that's it everybody just wants to feel good you could call that be happy or be at peace or be grateful like whatever we just want to feel good and everything that we do is an attempt to feel better and. So what I learned is that every negative emotion that we've ever felt in our lives or that we're feeling now or that we could ever feel in the future, in other words, the opposite of feeling good, so what gets in the way of us feeling good, every negative uh, painful emotion is self-created and it's self-created by our resistance to our reality. In other words, it's wishing that the world around you were different than it actually is, things that are unchangeable, which typically if you're experiencing emotional pain, it's over something that already happened, right? Whether Mm -hmm. it happened five minutes ago or five days ago or five weeks ago, 
your pain is over something that you can't change, wishing it were different than it already is. And so for me, when I was in the hospital, I went, well, I can't change that I was in a car accident, but I can choose to be the happiest and the most grateful I've ever been while I endure the most difficult circumstances in my life. And it proved to be true. I was happy. So I was so happy. The doctors thought I was in denial or I was delusional. And then you fast forward to my cancer journey and it was the same thing. Okay, I have cancer. Well, I can't change that. I might as well be the happiest and the most grateful that I've ever been while I endure what is going to be now, once again, the most difficult circumstance in my life. And so to, to wrap all of that up, the lesson is the, the key to emotional freedom, to be able to feel good and feel whatever you want to feel is acceptance. Is mm. It's making a conscious decision to accept everything that is out of your control exactly as it is. All of our pain in the world, we go, oh, I wish politics were different and this guy wasn't elected and this, like that's all wishing and wanting and resisting reality, wishing and wanting we could change things out of our control. And so you guys, that's why I said, when, when you first said, hey, we, we, we go with the flow. That's the answer, man. Accept life as it is. Go with the flow. Don't try to make the world different than it is or change things that are in your past or out of your control. Instead, just learn from everything and be grateful for every moment. And that for me is if I could do that in the midst of my car accident, my cancer, I figure I could do that on you know any given day of the week. What, what do you think keeps people from adapting that and keeping them stuck from just that principle. I know it's a principle that we adhere to and we live by, as you just said, even though it's something small, but it is something powerful. Why, why do people not adapt that and adopt that as their own belief? I think there's two reasons. The first is that we don't know better, right? Like no one taught me, no one taught, well, actually mm-hmm. I take that back. <laughs> Until someone taught me that, I, didn't, I wasn't aware of it. When I was 19 years old, I started a career in sales and my manager, who happened to be the number one manager in the history of 50 year history of the company broke every record. And he taught me something called the five minute rule. And here's a really practical way for people to apply this. He said, Hey, when you go out there in in sales, he said, it's different than most jobs you've worked in. I'm 19. I've got no sales experience. He said, you don't just show up, punch a clock and, you know, clock in clock out. He said, you, you're completely responsible for your success. And, and it's, you're, you're going to encounter all sorts of disappointment and failure and setbacks. You're going to set a goal. You're not going to hit it. You're going to, you know, you're going to get a, a, a huge order and you're going to go celebrate and be excited and buy dinner for everybody. And then the next morning it's going to cancel. He said, this is just, it's a microcosm for life. And he said there, it's okay to feel bad when something happens to get upset. But he said, not for more than five minutes. And the number's arbitrary, but you know, you can call it yeah. five minute, 10 minutes. He said, and he literally would teach us, set your timer on your phone for five minutes. And when something goes quote unquote wrong, you get five minutes to bitch, moan, complain, cry, vent, yell at somebody, whatever. And when the timer goes off, you say three really powerful words, can't change it. And you acknowledge, okay, I can't change what just happened. So there's no value in me dwelling on it, resisting reality, wishing it were different. And so for me, when I had my car accident and the doctors thought I was in denial, I said, look, guys, I live my life by the, and I said this to the doctor. I didn't say guys. I said, look, sir, look, doctor. Bros. Yeah. Look, look, bro. Um, with the white coat on. (laughs) No, I said, uh, uh, I said, sir, I said, I live my life by the five minute rule. And he said, what's that? I said, well, it states it's okay to be negative when something goes wrong, but not for more than five minutes. There's no point in dwelling on something that is now in the past and wishing it were different because that just creates emotional pain. I'm upset. I'm sad. I'm frustrated. I said, 
it's been two weeks since my car accident. I can't change that I was in a car accident, but I get to choose how I feel mm. about this. And I've taught this now to thousands of people as a, as a speaker for years. And I've, I probably have at least a dozen people that have sent me pictures of uh, tattooed into some part of their body, their, their wrist, their shoulder. It says, can't change it. Mm. And I, I had this gal that her dad committed suicide uh, when she was, I believe, 18 years old. And he was, or how old, I forgot the age, but very young. And, um, and what, or nine years old anyway, uh, she had lived for 10 years. He had been dead for 10 years. She had been depressed and, you know, uh, suicidal. I mean, just, you know, it was, she had felt this isn't fair. My dad died. And she thought she was sad and depressed because her dad died. And when I explained this, she came up to me and she went, I, I was upset when you told me that I create my emotional pain. I wanted to kill. I said, no, my dad died. That created my emotional pain. But when I listened to you, she goes, I realized, well, wait a minute. No one ever told me that if I chose to consciously accept it, realizing that me wishing he were here doesn't make him here. Me, me, me being angry that he's not here doesn't bring him back, right? She said, so I've spent the last few weeks you know, with those three words, can't change it, can't change it, can't change it. Whenever I find myself resisting something out of my control and she goes, I I'm finally at peace. Like I'm finally at peace. And, mm. you know, so again, I think most people don't do it because they don't know that they, you know, they've, they've never been taught that I was taught yeah. that when I was 19. And then when I had my car accident, I got to apply it. Um, and then the other is just, it's against human nature. Like human nature is we're conditioned. Like if something doesn't go the way we want psychologically, we, we naturally resist that reality. So it's a conscious decision to kind of override our human nature to ascend to a higher level of consciousness that enables you to let it go and just move on. Key thing that you said, Taylor, feel free to jump in anytime. Here, I was man. just going to ask if you guys need me here anymore. If I kind of like the third wheel. I was wondering if Tyler, Taylor was just doing like the AV in the background now, just tech guy. Yeah, just got devoted. strings. This is what the backseat feels like. I haven't been in the vaccine in a long time. You guys have no idea. Go, go ahead and say what you're going to say that I'm going to ask my one allotted question for the interview. Yeah, Taylor gets one one question interview. You know, that I think the thing that stood out to me when your last um, what you just said was just the value the value that you get out of your past. And I think that's the thing a big thing people miss is they don't understand like what gives them value, what doesn't. Many times, and they don't have boundaries in place in their lives like to dwell on something that doesn't give them any present value, yeah. right? That's huge. Like obviously there's things in your past that you can reminisce about and you can, you know, have great feelings about it, whatever. Like I went fishing with my dad, you know, however long ago. And like, that's valuable to me, but there's things in the past that necessarily aren't valuable that yeah. I think people do will just entertain and ponder on where there's not really anything for them there. Any, yeah, anything and deeper you want to talk about there? Well, I think that's a good point is, is it valuable? Like, is it useful, right? If you're feeling an emotion and it's painful, sometimes, and you, and you ask that question, is it valuable? Sometimes, yeah, maybe it is. Maybe I haven't learned the lesson. Like if mm. you're feeling the pain of regret over your actions, but you haven't changed your behavior and you're still doing the same things over and over, you should feel pain until you make the change, right? Pain is a powerful signal for us. It, it, right. it, it often, and it can be a lesson, it can, or it can teach us lessons. But yeah, but to your point is, is this a value? And mo more often than not, when we're dwelling on something out of our control and it's causing us to feel pain, right? Then typically there, because if, if it is in our control, well, we, we can change it. So that's a different conversation, yeah. right? Or so, but, but ultimately when 
you know, when you realize that, yeah, this, there's no value for me suffering right now. I don't want to suffer anymore. And then you realize, wait a minute, I have the power to accept all things I can't change and just surrender, just be at peace. Mm. And then once you're at peace, peace isn't an emotionally charged state, right? You've got like your positive emotions over here, your negative emotions over here, but in between positive and negative is, is peace. And you access that place of peace through acceptance. And once you're there, then you're, it's kind of emotionally neutral and you can go, what emotion would best serve me right now? How do I want to feel? What do I want to focus on? What do I want to do? You know, and what's the optimum emotional state in order to do that? And, but if you're, if you're resisting reality, right, you're blocking, you're, you, there is no space to create what you want because you're, you're experiencing what it, you know, what that resistance and, and what, how it affects you. Yeah, that's real good. quick, just something to add to this. And, um, you know, what, what you're talking about is, is metacognition. It's the ability to think about how you're thinking about a situation. And one of the things we tell our mm. team and our clients all the time is people want to fixate on what is good or bad. But the question is actually is, you know, is this empowering or disempowering? Is this, is this, like you said, something that I control versus something I cannot control? I think what you're speaking is you're really kind of the antithesis of victimhood everything you're saying is like the opposite of Mm. being a victim which a victim is is like and i wanted to ask you about this like in the hospital how did you deal i'm sure there was a point when you were tempted to think like why is this happening to me or to go down the worst case scenario or how do you mentally deal with all of that is it just something you were born with naturally or are there practices and disciplines that you've developed yeah, I definitely wasn't born with it. Um, like I said, it was it was part of it. A big part of it was learning it in my in my sales training, and then I had a year and a half to practice it. Right, so meaning I got in my car accident at a sales meeting that I gave the speech at a year and a half after I started. So I had done it over and over and over with small things like traffic's one of my favorite examples. Like I used to get frustrated with traffic, so I wasn't born this way. Like anybody, I would get, if you know if you're you imagine you leave the house late, you've got to meet a client you're running late and now you know you're going to you know lose the deal or maybe you're you're meeting a, another person and they're going to be upset there's some sort of negative consequence at the end of that journey and most of us sit in traffic the entire time you know 45 minutes in traffic white knuckling the steering wheel resisting reality going oh no why did i leave late why are these cars moving so slow yeah. and, and so this lesson you know i used to apply it i'd go oh i can't change it i can't change the speed of the cars in front of me i can't change that i'm going to be late but I could enjoy the ride. I get to choose. I can either be frustrated for the next 45 minutes in this car. You know, I, I, or I always say I can either be stressed out or I can be blissed out, right? Like the choice is mine and it has nothing to do with the traffic, which most people think it is. You go, you show up late and they're like, why are you so frustrated? Why are you angry? Because didn't you see the traffic on the 405? It was horrendous. And we literally believe that we are upset because of blank. Like we always yes. have something to point to and blame for our negative emotional state. Didn't you see what she said? Did you hear what she said? Didn't you see the, the traffic? Didn't you, don't, didn't you hear what happened to me? Of course I'm upset. Of course I'm sad. Of course I'm angry. We always point. We think it's something else. And so for me, um, when the car accident happened, you know, yeah, I woke up from a coma six days later and I'm like, what, what, what? I, what, 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 why am I in a hospital? Like, wh- why is my eye bandaged? Why is my ear sewn on? Why is my leg? Br- I mean, I was a mess, you know? And, and so the, you know, the processing in the beginning was, I mean, it was like, it was, it was just 
almost too big to handle. Like, what, what does this mean? They say I'm never going to walk again. So in the beginning, you know, for the first, I mean, I don't know how many days it was. My memory is really fuzzy from the first few days that I woke up from the coma. Um, but it was literally within a matter of days that I was telling jokes and like, you know what? I can't change it. This sucks. And I would go back and forth and think, man, if I'm in a wheelchair the rest of my life, what does that mean? And I would always try to just, you know, look at what's the worst case scenario. I'm in a wheelchair. Okay. What's the best case scenario? You know, like I'm happy in a wheelchair, you know, and I would just, I would just try to really, like you said, metacognition, you know, and I love that you use that big word. Just use big words all the time. Is that, yeah. Chris? Is that something? Yeah. I'm quite educated. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So he's very smart. He's very smart. I love it. Um, I'm glad he explained the word because I didn't know what he meant. But yeah. uh, I'm just a look. So I'm the eye candy here. <laughs> no, but but what what you're saying, dude, is it is so powerful because I think it's so much easier. And we take the path of least resistance. We want to believe that we're this evolved, you know, superior, enhanced species. But a lot of times we just defect to whatever is the easiest thing for us to do. And it's always easier to blame someone else. Always. Yep. It's always easier to be like, you know, like just it's it's easier to tweet about the president than it is to actually go and do something about what what you feel like. Because there's a lot you can't control, but there's a lot that you can simply by mm. developing the attitude that I'm going to serve and I'm going to get invested and oftentimes we try so hard to fight things that we forget that usually we can move things forward better through serving and through service. I think of the BLM movement right now and I think of the, the chaos in the world. And I think it's like this clashes with your, with your, like your ethos of non-victimhood. Have you thought a lot about how people can use what you teach to deal with the oh, BLM inequality, the the things that are going on in the world right now, because I feel like everybody wants to point the finger at someone else and nobody's really taking a step back and looking at how they can personally contribute. You know what I mean? Yeah. I haven't spent a lot of time thinking how it applies to BLM, which now you sparked that thought. I I potentially will. Um, But, but I do, you know, I think that tied into what you're saying and that was really well said is responsibility. Um, I'm a big believer in, in accepting total responsibility for every aspect of my life and never blaming another person. So people would like when I would say that when I was in the hospital and they'd go, well, what, it's not your fault. You get hit by the drunk driver. And I go, well, I, and I think here's the difference is people confuse responsibility with blame. Blame determines who's at fault. Responsibility determines who's committed to changing things. Uh-oh. And so for me, the, yeah, the He's drunk driver now. was to blame. Right, the run, run, he was to blame for sure, but it wasn't his responsibility to undo what he did because that's impossible. And that's where people get in victimhood. They're like, undo what you did, right? Undo what happened years and years ago. Like that's not fair. And people suffer over things from their childhood, right? It's like I was, I was abused. I was this, and and, and you know, my heart goes out to anyone who had that. But it's like it's not happening anymore. And blaming the person, and then resigning yourself to that victimhood, where you're like, well. Psh, I am the way I am because that thing happened to me so many years ago and it's not my fault, right? Well, it's like, yeah, not your fault, but it is your responsibility. It's your responsibility if you want to move past your past or you want to keep suffering. And that, you know, I think that could, you could apply that to, to anybody. Dude, that's one of the biggest takeaways, not even, not from just today, but from ever. It's not your fault, but it is your responsibility. You know, somebody in the comments said ownership. Having the ability to, you don't necessarily have to own the, you know, 
the blame, like you said, but you have to own your path forward. Yeah. And a lot of times the path forward includes releasing the blame. This is just toxic. It's like yeah. you see some people walking around. It's like they've got a thousand pounds in their back because they're keeping track of all the wrongs of other people and who's to blame for this. And it's like they literally cannot process what's the most you know, effective way forward for me because they're hanging on to what happened to them, like you said, from their past. I think it's such a big takeaway, even for me personally. Well, right I'm, I'm glad for that. And I'll tell it's you- a big deal, Hal. It's a big deal. Thank you. Thank you. You're, I love your hair, by the way. Can I say that? I love your hair. Thank you. Um, Taylor. Yeah, everybody does. Not, not Chris, in case anybody's listening and not watching. You can't um, even see Chris's hair. I can't see Chris's hair. I, um, did get a, I did get a cut today. I got a fresh fade. That will I, be revealed next week. Ooh. I do see that Chris has a decent sized head, though, based on how many <laughs> notches back his, his hat is buckled. <laughs> My true. hat would fall off my head. There's if I so much it. wisdom contained <laughs> in this head. So much hey, I want to, I want to take us to another place since I yeah. finally got Chris out of the way and I can take right. my rightful Thank place God. No, I love in the front seat. Freaking typical. I have noticed this, how you may not be comfortable going here, but, uh, we, we are mutual friends of Pete Vargas. Um, and we talk about this all the time, but I'm not comfortable I, going there. I'm just kidding. The, the, yeah, <laughs> definitely not. The more, the more I grow in, in life and in business, the more I recognize that the success principles that work today, me and Chris talk about this all the time, is basically the Bible. Hmm. Like it basically comes from, but like we talk about this all the time because it's like we grew up, I grew up in the church, Chris grew up in the church. And it's like today we don't talk about it all the time. Like we're not shoving it down people's throats, but we're, we're in a position now where it's like, you know, God's grown our businesses. He's blessed what we've built. And I feel like it's been an exceptional opportunity for us to share that you can be, you know, a great husband, you can be a great dad, you can be a believer, and you can still have a lot of wealth, and a lot of impact, and a lot of success. How much do you attribute to your faith? Is it something that's kind of like, did you pull a lot of your philosophy from your faith? Does it just integrate a little bit? Maybe open that can of worms for us. Yeah, so um, my... Uh, uh, how do I how do I answer this in terms of so my faith is um, I grew up Catholic that's how that was my the religion that I grew up with right um, and then when I was in my early twenties after my car accident I started studying I just decided I think maybe a mentor opened my mind to said hey why don't you study all religions and why don't you see what you can learn from every religion because um, there's value, right? And it's like, there's not only one, and also there's a lot of overlap, which is a lot of times you find the best value. You're like, oh, they were saying this in Buddhism that they're also saying in Christianity that they're also saying in, right? In all these different re religions. So for me, I studied all religions. And for me, my faith is really a relationship with, um, with God. And in terms of God, I look at God in, in a lot of different ways, most of which is like a buddy. I just kind of talk to God like I would talk to any of my friends. Um, but, but I also look at the science of God, meaning, in fact, it was funny. I was, I was, I said, like I said, grace, we were at a dinner recently and it was all, a bunch of people that, you know, that were, that I didn't know any of their, their beliefs. So I, so the way I, so we all held hands around the table and I closed my eyes and it was just like, as the first member said this, but I'll probably say this in the future. I said, I said, um, to the scientifically proven energetic force that is, uh, encompassing every living thing, uh, and, and, and everything is born from it and dies into like, you know, so like, that's what I prayed to. Right. So, um, but, 
but for me, um, having faith, like my, the new book is The Miracle Equation, and the two decisions that move your biggest goals from possible to probable to inevitable, the two decisions, the first one is unwavering faith. And unwavering faith, not just a passive faith in a higher power, but faith in ourselves. And for me, I think that's also a place where people lose responsibility often is that they use faith as as an excuse for that. I'm going to sit back and let God, you know, I pray to God and I trust God. So God will do everything while I sit back and do nothing, you know, Um, right? No. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, no, no. Like my belief is, Hey, uh, we, we were given the power. We are creators, right? We're little mini gods. We're mini creators. We have the ability to create literally life, right? So it doesn't get much more profound than that. Um, so a, a big element of owning responsibility for your success. And, you know, to your point, I love what you said, which is that you can have it all, so to speak, right? Like you can have a great, like I'm married to the woman, of my dreams, I've got two kids that I absolutely adore. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and our income is where it's, you know, where I always dreamt that it would be. Uh, and I think a, a part said. of that, what'd you say? He said rich. he's rich. We got it. Oh. <laughs> um, a part of that too is, I, I don't know where, exactly where it fits in, but is giving back, you know, I, yeah. um, yeah. So my, my goal is to donate that I'm moving towards donating 50% of my income to, to those less fortunate. I would say, I don't believe wow. that we were all born with the same opportunities, right? If you're born into poverty and all you know is poverty, you don't have the same opportunity mentally nor logistically that someone that's born into, you know, into a middle-class family has, right? Um, so anyway, I, I, uh, I, I'm, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm going off the rails a little bit, no, but, no, no. This but, is yeah, but, but no, but I do. Yeah. But I'm a big, so I, so what happened is I always wanted to donate money to charity and I would donate like $10 here, $50 there. And when I wrote the miracle morning, I thought, okay, here's my chance for some accountability. And I wrote in the beginning of the book, a minimum of 10% of the profits of the miracle morning will go to charity. And, um, and we've donated now, uh, I've donated, I think about, I don't know the exact number, like $500,000 to charity, Amazing. um, which is well over 10%, you know? Um, and so that to me, if we all had that mindset of like, you know, giving a part, you know, they call it tithing in the Bible. Right. But, but, yeah. but looking, not just looking out for number one, but I just mm-hmm. believe there's only one consciousness, right? I believe that we're all one there's, you know, there's, we're all one and, and that we're all brothers and sisters. We're all part of the human family. And, you know, that's where like the black lives matter and racism, you know, for me, um, I just, I, 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 I personally can't imagine, I understand why people are racist. Like if you grew up that way again, and that, (laughs) let me just say one last thing. And I think this is really a big one. Um, for me, one of the foundations of how to, how to view the world and, and, and specifically the people in the world are, um, is from a place of non-judgment. And I think we're all very judgmental, right? You're right. I mean, I'm right. And you're wrong, right? My religion's right. Yours is wrong. My political party's right. Yours is wrong. You, I feel sorry for you because you don't get it. And then it's interesting that on the other side, they equally feel the same way. Well, yeah. no, 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 we're right. And you're wrong. And we have it figured out and you don't. And here's one of the greatest lessons I learned at a young age is that if whenever you, you want to think about judging another person, and this is even judging a person that you would deem evil, like if you judge, like judging someone who's racist, here's something to consider. If you had lived their life and been born with their brain, it is almost certain that you would think, say, and do exactly the same things. 
And so from that place, I don't judge anyone, right? I, I trade judgment with compassion, with empathy, with like, oh man, you're, you're mean, you're, you've done some wrong. God, I, I feel for you. I don't hate you. I love you. I love you. I hate, I, I might hate what you did or hate how you hurt another person. But, you know, I think that for all of us, that for us to just truly be able to stop, like, there's no reason to be angry at another person. You can be angry at their actions. But if anything, if someone does something that you deem horrific, you know, trade in your, that judgment, that anger, that condemnation with empathy, with understanding. And, uh, yes. and just realizing that, again, had you lived their life and been born with their brain, you know, you'd probably be exactly the same. So would we all. It's a good and word, at, man. at the very least, if you're going to argue, do it with kindness. Yeah, do, so with, kindness. do it with do it with the ability to, you know, to less statements, more questions. And I think that that's why the world's so riled up right now is because you look at these people who are so entrenched and none of them are kind. None yeah. of them are have the ability to say, I could be wrong here. But here's my opinion. There's such an entrenchment right now. And it's not even if you really look at it, it's not even between black and white or, or, or white and Hispanic. It's between a certain state of mind, a certain level of consciousness and a certain, you know, like for me personally, the people I've been angry with the most in the last 60 days, a bunch of dumb white people. I'm like, <laughs> I, you know, like it's not even a skin color thing for me. It's more of a, you know, I'm starting to realize that there's so many people who are not kind, but they're deeply opinionated. Hmm. That's the mistake. You know, yeah. they, they don't have the ability, like you said, to take themselves out of the judgment seat and into the shoes of the other person. And when you can do that well, you have the ability to really change things because you can slip into the other person's point of view, just like you do your own. So that's a good yeah. word. And I appreciate that. Chris, anything to add to that, man? Yeah, I'd say people really quickly and often are looking for an enemy mm. in something, in someone, in a group of people. Versus looking for a friend, a fellow human being who has their own journey, their own situation. And I think that is really powerful when you have that ability to have empathy and just understanding for their journey. Again, not if we're talking about racism, obviously that's a big issue. That's something that needs to be addressed and dealt with. But it goes back to the biblical principle Jesus said to love your neighbor as yourself. Not if he's just a cool guy. Or whatever. Or if he's he's nice. If he's rich. He's rich like how? Just love your neighbor. <laughs> just love your neighbor as yourself. And that's that's opposite of the world, man. It's just opposite of our, our culture and our society. And I think the sooner we can get back to that, the sooner that we'll see healing and that we will have that understanding and empathy for other people, no matter what their background is. So it's good. It's yeah. good. Hey, uh, so Miracle Morning. Hopefully everybody. Miracle Morning. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, let's bring it back to how. Hopefully, everybody has the book and has read through the book. Miracle Morning, Miracle Equation. Um, have you already talked about kind of the differences between the two and how they differ? And does somebody need one before the other? Or no, no. I, so I can I can speak on that pretty quickly. I know you guys are taking the over under on that, but um, the so the Miracle Morning uh, I, I published in 2012, and the Miracle Miracle Equation I published last year. And the interesting thing about it is the miracle equation is a concept I've been practicing for 20 years now, 21 years. So long before the miracle morning was an idea. But in terms of the two books, the miracle morning is a practice for daily personal development. And it's founded on a Jim Rohn philosophy, which is your level of success will rarely exceed your level of personal development. 
because success is something you attract by the person that you become. And so in other words, on a scale of one to 10, if we're measuring success in every area of our life, our health, wealth, you know, family, happiness, you name it, everybody wants level 10 success. That's one thing human beings I think share in common is we aspire to uh, fulfill our potential and to get everything that we can that life has to offer. And so we all want success on a scale of one to 10 at a level 10. But what I realized when Jim Rohn shared that philosophy was that we need to become a level 10 person. That's how you create level 10 success is you develop yourself into a more capable, more knowledgeable, more skilled individual with better habits and mindset and practices, all of the above. And the miracle morning for me in 2008, when the U S economy crashed, I kind of crashed with it. And that became, I created this morning ritual within two months of doing the miracle morning, which I think is relevant right now because of the economy again, but the economy was declining and I doubled my income. I lost over half my income. And then when I started applying this morning ritual, I more than doubled my income. And I went to my wife, I said, sweetie, it's like a miracle. I have twice as many clients. It's all this morning routine. It's what I'm learning. It's the clarity I'm getting. It's how I'm using my affirmations to keep me focused on the most important things for me to do right now. And she goes, it's like your miracle morning. I go, yeah, I, that, I like that. I like that. I like the alliteration. So I wrote miracle morning in my schedule every day. It wasn't a book idea, not at all. And I taught it, eventually I taught it to all of my coaching clients and almost every single one of them went from, I'm not a morning person, Hal. I'm like, neither was I, give it a try. And I taught them how to beat the snooze button and all that. And then within, uh, you know, they'd all come back a week or two later and go, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm a morning person, like it worked. And I'm waking up early and I feel good and I'm like motivated, energized, and I'm seeing great results in my business and so on and so forth. And so, you know, I, I was like, I have to write a book about it. Like if it's helping them and it's helping me and none of us were morning people, like this could help anybody. And so I didn't know it would be, I had no idea. Like I didn't write it with any big ambition. I wrote it, my first book sold like 3000 copies ever. That was taking life head on years ago. So I wasn't planning on it being this big global success. And now it's translated into 34 languages. Um, it's wow. sold over 2 million copies, as you mentioned. And we have a movie coming out in October uh, called The Miracle Morning documentary about it. And so, so that's your daily practice for personal development. And then the miracle equation is your daily process for goal achievement. And, and, and here's the difference. You can be the most personally developed person on the planet, but still let fear stop you from going after your biggest goals and dreams, right? You can wake up and meditate every morning and journal and do your affirmations, do your miracle morning, but then just stay in your small box and be like, well, I, uh, yeah, I know I'm, I know I'm capable of more now, but I'm, I'm still, I'm afraid. So I'm just going to stay here. And then, I realized that was the need for the miracle equation was for how do you, once you become a better version of yourself, you do that miracle morning, how do you then get out of over your fear and override fear with faith, that first decision? And then how do you get yourself to consistently put forth the necessary effort, even if you don't feel like it, even if you're not motivated, how do you get yourself to put forth what I call extraordinary effort? Um, so that you can, there's literally nothing now stopping you from achieving everything that you want in life. So that's kind of how they, they pair together. Most people read the miracle morning first and then, you know, and then your next book as you're doing your miracle morning, because reading is part of it, you know, the miracle equation kind of fits with it perfectly. Yeah. Amazing. Where is this something that you just recommend people buy on Amazon or do you have special links? So the Miracle Morning is a self-published book. So it's only available on Amazon and Audible. You can get, you know, audiobook, Kindle. Um, and then the Miracle Equation uh, was 
traditionally published. So you can get that anywhere books are sold, but Amazon as well. Amazing. Very good. Chris, you got any last questions before I land this plane? Well, we're just, how you've gotten a lot of praise in the comments on Facebook. Um, so big props coming in from the crew. But any last words of wisdom from you to everybody who's listening? Yeah, um, I, I got a closing thought. The, you know, every, all of us want more out of life. I kind of mentioned one of the things that human beings have in common is we have kind of an unlimited capacity and desire for life to be as good as it possibly could or as it can. And for us to be as good as we can to fulfill our potential. I think that's, that's awesome. That's beautiful. Um, the one thing that often holds us back is we want it now. Like we, we don't have a lot of patience and that lack of patience prevents us from putting forth the effort necessary mm. for as long as it's going to take to get where we want to go. And most of us don't realize how long it's going to take. We don't realize that whole adage, it takes 10 years to be an overnight success. I, I absolutely mm -hmm. believe that, right? Like I wrote The Miracle Morning. It took six years to reach my goal of reaching a million people once that book came out. And I tried to do it in year one. I tried to do it in year two. I tried to do it in year three. I tried to do it in year, year four, right? And I did hundreds and hundreds of podcast interviews, dozens of TV shows, like, you know, put on live events. I spoke all over the world. Like I did everything I could. And every year I kept trying to get there. And I, I, you could say I failed year one, I failed year two, and it finally happened in year six. So here's the closing thought is that whatever you are working for right now in your life, or maybe you're not even working for it yet, but it's in your mind, it's a desire, it's a dream, like whatever you want in your life, when you finally get to the place that you've been working for so hard and for so long, know this, you almost never wish it would have happened any sooner. Mm. Right now, you think you want it now, but the journey's required. And when you finally get there, you look back and you go, oh, it was supposed to happen exactly as it happened on the exact day in the exact moment that it happened. And so if you can maintain that realization now, then be at peace with where you are on your journey. Be at peace with where you are in your life while you maintain a healthy sense of urgency to get where you want to go. Right. Wake up every day, do your miracle morning, shameless plug, and you know, and, and that and, and then and move, keep moving in the direction of what you want, right? But but don't don't forget what we really want is to enjoy every moment. So do that now. Don't make your joy be locked up in some future goal, right? Ooh. Unlock it and experience it every day, every moment, be at peace with where you are and keep moving in the direction of your dreams, your goals and what you want. And you can't fail. As long as you keep moving that direction, eventually you'll get there and the timing will be perfect. In other words, to win the game, enjoy the game. Enjoy the moments. One of my favorite quotes that backs that up, how this might be one of your quotes, and if it's not, you just, mm. just steal it. Uh, Set thy heart upon thy work, but never its reward. Mm. Set thy heart upon thy work, but never its reward. That's what you're talking about. The ability not to just enjoy the outcomes, but enjoy the fruit of the journey. And obviously, you've done that amazingly well. You're a terrific example of what that looks like. I have a lot of great quotes from this episode. Thank you for spending the time with us. And I'm glad that we got your computer working. <laughs> we would have all missed out if not. Me too. Taylor so, and Chris, I appreciate you guys. Yeah, thanks for being on. Everybody pick up a copy of both books and uh, buy some for your friends and family as well. Let's get this mission out to the world. See you guys. Thanks for listening. For more from Chris and Taylor, visit trafficandfunnels.com and get a free gift just for being a subscriber. That's trafficandfunnels.com.